I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Merry after Christmas. That's, that's my new thing, after Christmas. Uh, I'm so excited for this morning because last week I had a lot of fun talking about the Lamb of God. And then I heard that Colin was doing the Christmas music. We talked to Q&A and said, I'm going to do a second Christmas message because I want to do Star of Heaven. They really go together. Uh, so if you didn't uh, have a chance to listen to Lamb of God, uh, be sure to grab that. Uh, anyway, I guess I should say hi to everybody online in the house. I'm Pastor Bruce, and whether you're in the house or online, dropping by or part of the fam, uh, I just want to welcome you to where we're learning to keep an eye on Jesus. And I'm just curious, who still has Christmas shopping to do? Anybody? Oh, 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 yeah, okay. <laughs> well, you know what, you're among friends. We understand. Here's a question, because Christmas is just the worst sometimes in some ways. Does Christ tend to get lost in your Christmas? It doesn't mind. I got to keep reminding myself, focus on Christ. You got to keep an eye on him or he'll get away from you. Remember how his own parents spent three days looking for him? Three days. Got to be attentive. Jesus get away from you. But it's only been two days since Christmas. So if you realize that you've lost, briefly lost sight of the Lord, you're still ahead of the game. <laughs> Parents took three. Uh, you're ahead of the game if you reestablish his rightful place in your heart right now. And that's what we come to church to do, and whether it's online or in the house. Come here to encourage each other. Reestablish Jesus. Give him that rightful place. It's okay. We understand. Our culture, we know our culture. Our culture is addicted to chaos. It just is, especially during Christmas. And we, I think we share this together, we tend to let the loudly urgent drown out the deeply significant. It just is louder. Especially during Christmas. Uh, the problem really is not the endless list of demands, though it's there. Uh, the problem is not even the heavy load of expectations at Christmas, or even the always, and I don't know why, but the always surprising lack of time. You know, uh, the problem is just losing sight of the light of Jesus. Chaos is a choice. It's a choice, especially during the Christmas season. We should call it Christ mess. I like this name. Christ mess is what we should call it the way we do it at my house. That's what we should call it. And then if we call it Christ mess, uh, if and when you lose sight of Jesus in the midst of it, you realize all you got's the mess you've made of it. And sometimes that's how we do it at my house. And so I have to recalibrate my heart back to Christ and the cross. So everybody say with me in the room here, everybody say, I can't control Christmas, okay? I can't control Christmas. 
That's good, because the first step is admitting we have a problem. So that's nice. Forget, the, forget those 12 days of Christmas. We need the 12 steps of Christmas. We need that program. And so now that it's after Christmas, I just want to say, may, may God grant you the serenity to accept the gifts you cannot return, the courage to re-gift the ones you can, and the receipts to know the difference. <laughs> It's after Christmas. It's after, we made it, like Noah said, we made it through 2020, no less. So I say, let the world ring in the new year. Let the world just honk and shove and push and crowd their festive frenzy all the way to New Year's Eve. Don't take the bait. Don't bite. We're still celebrating the Prince of Peace all year long, especially especially during Christmas. And as we saw last Sunday, this is why I'm so excited to be talking today, because I won't piggyback on this. As we saw last Sunday, uh, the prophet Micah made an uh, incredibly specific, clear, uh, made it clear long before Jesus was born, uh, the prophecy that Christ, the king, the ruler, the shepherd of Israel, would appear first in that Migdal Eder, Bethlehem's Tower of the Flock. And Isaiah specified that he'd be led like a sacrificial baby lamb to the slaughter. And that happens in one very specific way in one very specific place. And every sacrificial lamb, as we saw, was led from inside the place of Jesus' birth all the way to the outside place of his death. It says in Hebrews, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned or destroyed outside the camp. And so, this is why, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Born where the lambs were born, led like the lamb to the slaughter, died where they died. And it changes so much. i got to stop talking about last Sunday, but this. It just changes so much in such a deep and wonderful way uh, to picture that watchtower in Bethlehem, plastered white, strictly sanitized according to the, the most stringent religious regulations, you know, inside, with an assembly line of mangers each uh, containing and confining a swaddled newborn sacrificial lamb. Boom, 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 boom. And one human baby. And lamb, 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 lamb. I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. And now, since it's after Christmas, we're going to look at we're going to look at some other folks. We're going to look at the folks uh, who were looking for Jesus after that first Christmas. Uh, the mystical magi who at least had their shopping completely done ahead of time. Now, here's the thing about the magi. The magi, we, we know uh, that the magi did not arrive until at least, we don't know exactly when, but we know it was at least six weeks after Jesus was born. You know how we know? It's just kind of buried. We don't have time to look at it, but it's buried in there uh, when uh, Mary goes to fulfill the, the requirement of the law. And then you look up what the requirement is. 41 days after Jesus' birth, she goes and offers a sacrifice for purification. And she offers the sacrifice of the poor. The two doves. 
supposed to offer a lamb unless you're too poor. So that box of gold has yet to arrive. So it's at least six weeks later. So we're going to take the story in Matthew. This may be a little different than you're used to, but we're going to make every piece make sense this morning. I love this story. After Jesus was born at the watchtower, because we're going to take all the parts. So we know he's born at the watchtower. After Jesus was born at that watchtower in Bethlehem in Judea, Bethlehem Ephrathah, the specific one, in Judea, and we're told that the news was made widely known by the rabbinical shepherds, so everyone knows. They're the ones, they saw the angel, they saw the heavenly host, made it known. So this six, at least six weeks later. Well, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, who'd they ask? First, they, first they asked the people the, and their priests and rabbis, anybody, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews. Oh, Herod's king of the Herod's the king. This would have panicked the people. Who are these guys? And what are pseudo-sorcerer scientists doing in the Christmas story? Well, briefly, Magi set calendars and tide charts and interpreted the signs of the stars. They're a cross between just a mix of astronomer and astrologer. And to be fair, the scientific uh, line was pretty gray in their day. They're still trying to figure out what was science and what was, what was myth. The rabbinical shepherds, as we saw, they might have been Jesus. They were Jesus' first ambassadors, but the Magi are the first to call him king of the Jews. They get that one. And they say to the people, their priests and their rabbis, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. But nobody's talking. Apparently nobody was buying it or willing to trust them to tell them, probably, you know, this is our Messiah. He's born. Who are you guys? And, and not only that, but for fear, among other things, of what King Herod would do. And when King Herod, who had been kept in the dark until this point, heard, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Yeah, we know from the story, he was threatened. He was disturbed with murderous intentions. He wanted to go kill this kid. And all Jerusalem, knowing what he was capable of, was disturbed with him, but for a different reason. Their Messiah has come. And so, when Herod had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Where's the Christ? Where the Christ was to be born. Now watch very closely because this is so good. It's all there in the story. You just got to see it. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied wisely and shrewdly. For this is what the prophet has written. The prophet Micah, of course, yes, it's, a, you know, the unspecific half. It's at least half. But it's true. This is what the prophet wrote. But you, Bethlehem... You Bethlehem, there's something missing right there. You Bethlehem, uh, he's leaving off. They're leaving off Ephrathah. You Bethlehem, Ephrathah in the land of Judah. They leave that part out because I'd tell which specific Bethlehem it was. 
You are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, that's where that half of Micah ends, who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. They add that part. They add the shepherd part from other verses in Micah to show the king he has nothing to fear. It's a shepherd. But you know what they withheld? Oh, they withhold the crucial and key piece of information found seven verses earlier that tells exactly where he's born and what he's going to do. O tower of the flock, to you shall it come. A kingship for Jerusalem. Well, that would have put Herod into a rage, so they don't tell him. And then armed with what Herod assumed was the whole story, but certainly wasn't, and knowing, knowing he could con the Magi into helping him find this Christ child, and knowing all of Jerusalem was troubled and knew what he was capable of, and knowing that all of Jerusalem would warn the Magi because the Christ has been born, and they would warn the Magi of his intentions if they knew what he was doing. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. He don't want anyone to know what he's doing. And found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Then, using uh, the partial knowledge of Micah's prophecy, probably seemed very wise, he sent them to a Bethlehem and said, go and make careful search for the child. Why? Remember, they made the, the, everyone knew at this point. But nobody's talking. Nobody's trusting. He says, as soon as you find him, report to me. Where am I at? As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, uh, the half of Micah's prophecy, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Which was, of course, the spotless sacrificial and Passover lamb birthing facility in the watchtower of Bethlehem Ephrathah. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, FYI, there were living quarters. Living quarters in the Migdal Ader, the watchtower of the flock, on the second floor for the rabbinical spotless sacrificial and Passover lamb birthing specialists. They came in, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They seemed to be the first to do that too and claim both those. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, which is just incense, but it's a specific type, frankincense, and myrrh. Why? Why would they do this? We got some great clues in the Bible. One is the fact that Matthew calls them magi. Matthew uses a term to describe them that is found nowhere else in the New Testament uh, except one other place, and that's when, or wait, sorry. <laughs> I'm mixing this up with another thing in the back of my mind. It's found nowhere else in the New Testament, this word, just about them. And it's found only 14 times in the Old Testament, and all 14 times are in one story. One story that takes place in the East, any guesses? Daniel. 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 
the wise men, Daniel, the prophet, who explained, among other things, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream without ever hearing it. And Nebuchadnezzar is so impressed that Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, ordered that an offering, an incense, frankincense, be presented. Your God, he said, is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. And he lavished Daniel, many gifts lavished on him. And there it is, look at this, placed Daniel in charge of all Babylon's magi. Put Daniel in charge of all the wise men. And then later when old King Nezi sees one like the son of God, keeping Daniel's three pals nice and cool in that fiery furnace, he sees one like the son of God and he says, and I quote, I declare, I declare that the people of any nation who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces for no other God can save in this way. What way? You know, with one like the son of God. Years later, Daniel comes out of retirement to read God's graffiti. God writes on the, on the wall. And we're told that Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, which is his royal title and kind of my daughter's name. We named her Shazari. Shazari. Belteshazzar uh, was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. Gold, eh? We got incense. We got gold. And after the lion's den incident, yet another king, King uh, Darius or Darius said, I declare in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens. Wonders in the heavens, huh? And in the story of Christ, I said I had something in the back of my mind. This was it. In the story of Christ's birth, it says God sent the angel Gabriel to a virgin pledged to be married. Why do you suppose we're told his name, the angel's name? Gabriel. Because everything's in the Bible for a reason. This is the thing that only appears here in one other place. It only appears here, and it also appears when Gabriel shows up to John the Baptist's dad to tell him that John the Baptist is going to be born. Then he goes to Mary and tells her Jesus is going to be born. Only two places it appears in the New Testament. Only two places his name appears in the Old Testament. Guess where? <laughs> Both with Daniel, yeah. Uh, it says, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, Gabriel instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. Guess of what? Jesus' birth. Boy, boy, does he. He tells Daniel exactly when Messiah, the prince, will come to Jerusalem. He just tells him exactly. Then he makes Daniel seal up the knowledge in the symbols of his book. And boy, we've been wrestling with those seven, 70 weeks of sevens and wrestling with those forever. But Daniel knew what they meant. His wise men knew what they meant. It's all part of that, you know, the sealed book that is the underside of scripture, as Revelation calls it. Part of what Paul, the apostle, calls the path beyond tracing out. The crooked that Isaiah says shall be made straight. In our lifetime, I don't know. Hope so. Solomon asks, who will straighten what God has made crooked? And Proverbs tells us to 
to trust God to make straight our paths. Why am I talking about all the straight and the crooked paths? Because Daniel's, Daniel's royal name, Belteshazzar, has two meanings. And I want to tell you the first one. It is Lord of the Straiten's treasure. Belteshazzar, Lord of the Straiten's treasure. So why do these wise guys travel a thousand miles to bring these things? Well, it seemed pretty obvious to me. Their boss, who understood when the prince of peace would come to Jerusalem, left them pretty specific instructions of what to watch for over 500 years before Jesus' birth. And with everything Daniel knew and instructed the coming generations to watch for and win, and then there, imagine being part of that generation where it's 500 years later. We're, we're the people. We're the people that get to see if it's really going to show up. Watch the skies. And then whatever it is, shooting star, Haley's Comet, I don't know. Whatever it is, there it is. Just as he said. And so they go. And with all that he knew and instructed. I can't, I can't imagine Daniel not dropping in his own frankincense and gold and saying, hey, give him, give him my best when you see him. Second meaning of his name, Belteshazzar, one who lays up secret treasure, one who lays up treasure in secret. Now, I get the gold. I, I mean, I don't get the gold, but I get the gold practical. Jesus is going to need a set of biblical scrolls, those are expensive. But why frankincense? Why myrrh? Let's follow the scent. We'll follow the scent to the end of the sermon here. Did you know the bridegroom king, both titles for Jesus, the bridegroom king in the Song of Songs wears a very specific cologne? He's perfumed with myrrh and frankincense. Why? <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because liquid myrrh is the base for God's commanded fragrant blend of sacred anointing oil. And that was used, among other things, to pour over the head of the high priest and all the, everything that was holy. And pure frankincense was a key component in the most holy, fragrant blend of incense that was used as a sacrifice for sin to make atonement for man and a, a sweet aroma for God. So then, the bridegroom king's cologne is a perfect combination of the fragrance of high priest, everything holy and sweet sacrifice for the atonement of sin. And I'm, I'm just going to speculate a little bit, just a little bit, because just before the cross, Jesus is anointed with a $40,000 jar of cologne, right? It's worth a year's wages, so I'm just kind of in our day's dollars. And we're told it had been saved for that occasion. Where did it come from? How long have they been saving it? In my heart of hearts, I can't help but think it's from those wise men who followed that star. That star had its big day, its big moment, 2,000 years ago, came and went. But 
The Lord himself has commissioned many more stars, you know. Like you, me, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. You go, how, how do I do that? Well, let's take from Philippians chapter 2 here. Do everything. Oh, this sounds hard. Without complaining. Oh, man. Well, let's not complain about it. Without complaining or arguing so that you may become, it's always a process, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked, uh-oh, there's that crooked and depraved generation. Oh, there's our culture in which you shine like stars in the universe. You're a star. You're a star, and it's time to shine. It's time to lead others to a stable mind, stable heart, stable relationships, especially during Christmas. Just don't be a Christmas star. Yeah, that job's done. It's taken. And nowadays, I don't know if you've noticed, Christmas stars are plastic. They're, pla they're more for show than for function, and they only light up once a year. Yeah, don't be a Christmas star. It is so interesting to me. We'll wind things down here. Quite interesting that the Lord tells Daniel at the, at the very end of his book that those who are wise okay, will shine like the brightness of the heavens. Okay, Almost like the glory is shining on them. And those who lead the wise, many of the wise, to righteousness, well, they'll shine like the stars forever and ever. And that's what the Lord tells Daniel. Those who lead the wise to righteousness are going to shine like the stars. Remember, the wise men said to Herod, we saw his star in the east. Are they talking about something in the sky? Are they talking about their boss? Or are they talking about both? Mm -hmm. I do know that when Herod shows them, you know, everyone, everyone who leads the righteous or, or leads the wise of the righteous is going to shine like a star. And I do know when Herod shows them half of Micah's prophecy, we're told immediately that then another star appeared. Until they, until they read, or I mean rode, a little further, and then we're told that it showed them the watchtower. And Herod, we're told, was furious when he, when he realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, but he could have read, read Micah, it's short. And so I say, twinkle, twinkle, little Belshazzar, how I wonder what you and those who lead the wise to righteousness are, and what those magi were really following. Whatever it is, we know one thing. The Lord's still leading. He's still leading. The question is, are you keeping an eye on him? Because he'll get away from you. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. So read this with me with gusto. So praise him, all you stars of light. Let the world push and shove and honk. Don't take the bait. Don't bite. That's our fiery furnace. And the same, the same one like the Son of God, our Redeemer and Refiner, will lead us through it if we allow it, if we reestablish his rightful place in our heart. 
We always talk about how it works down here. It's the refiner's fire. Heated moments reveal our impurities. It's how he refines us. So let's face it. This is a tough truth. But let's face it. Nobody can make you mad. Nobody can make me mad. Nobody can make us mad. They can only test the purity of our faith and trust in Christ. I don't like that, but I need to hear that. Especially during Christmas. So if you've lost sight temporarily of Christ this Christmas, remember, it is not about how the battle is going at any given moment. It's about where, where it's heading and how it's going to end. And that will depend on whether or not we're following the star. I'm going to close on this. I love this. In the beginning of Revelation, Jesus says, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give the morning star. Now, whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says. And then 20-some chapters later, the end of Revelation, he says, I am the bright morning star. I am the bright morning star. And the Spirit says, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift. I can't think of a better way to end. It's a Christmas gift. Free for the taking. And I just can't even believe this is in the Bible. For the one who wishes on the star. Makes no difference who you are. Just don't lose sight of our most significant light. I'll give you one last one. Hold on to this last truth for a while, okay? The Magi didn't bring the treasure. Now they found it. After all, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So take some time to stop and smell the kingdom. And let's pray. Father God, we praise you and worship you above all else because your great love illuminates our lives. Holy Spirit, keep, help us to keep the deeply significant insight so that it can't be drowned out by the loudly urgent all around us. And Lord Jesus, we hail you, bow to you, and reestablish your rightful rule in our heart as we continue to worship. And in your name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.